You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. This is our Advent series, Wrapped in Flesh. Good to see you if you are a first-time guest. My name is Jamal, and I am one of the pastors here. We are thrilled that you are here with us today. We pray that a song will be sung or words spoken uh, that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. And to the rest of the Sojourn fam, what's up? What's popping? What's crackalacking? Good to see you. Amen. We're going to pray, and then we'll dive in to the Word. Uh, gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity Uh, just to break bread and just to uh, be able to enjoy each other's presence and to uh, sing songs back to you. I pray, Father God, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may see you this morning through today's text. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. All right. Well, last week we started the sermon and uh, uh, talking about Christmas movies. And this week I want to start it by talking about Christmas lights, right? Uh, Christmas lights play a huge part in the Christmas season. And seeing lights and houses lit up with lights uh, generally brings our hearts joy. And we are able to just, just for a second to marvel at the radiance of the house, the glory of the house uh, through these lights. So I just pulled uh, some, a few pictures of some homes with beautiful Christmas lights. Isn't that well done? Yep, that's my house right there. Just joking. It's not. I mean, beautiful. Okay, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Amen. Yep. All right. So we see all types of houses. Now, this is actually a house that's right down the street off Camp Street. A guy by the name of Garrett Captree, uh, Crabtree, uh, every night in the month of December is putting on a, a Christmas show. And the lights change colors. Uh, there's over 5,000 LED lights. Um, and he is a specialist with lights and with production. And he has done a, a wonderful job. Ten minute shows, you can go and see it. My family and I, we stopped and, and watched it last night. And uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. There's just something about light that draws us in and something about the human eye that is attracted to light. And while that is true physically, um, that's not the case spiritually. Uh, the Bible tells us that we... Uh, all as human beings are born in darkness. Uh, we are, are born uh, actually uh, kind of going against the light. And so in John chapter one, John talks about Jesus as being the light of the world. And he talks about how he came into the world and the world did not uh, recognize him as the light. And the world also rejected him as a light. Now, another way to speak of the light of God and Jesus as the light of the world is by using the term glory, right? When we look at those Christmas lights on our house, maybe one way that we can describe it is that it's glorious, it's beautiful, it's radiant. And so when we talk about the glory of God throughout Scripture, while it can be abstract and applied in different ways, the glory of God, in essence, is the intrinsic worth of God made public. It's when the character and the attributes of God 
shine forth. The glory of God is his radiance. It's his beauty. And it's what shines forth in darkness. And the only way that a person can see, spiritually see the glory of God and spiritually appreciate the glory of God is if God makes that person born again. So in John chapter one, we've been kind of unpacking this whole chapter of all of this month. Um, We see that the person who uh, sees the glory of God is a person in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The only way that a person can come out of this natural state of being born in darkness as a result of their sin, inherited sin by, by, by Adam and Eve, is if God gives them a heart and spiritual eyes uh, to see his light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, uh, Paul writes, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to them from seeing the lights of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so everybody doesn't see the glory of God. Everybody doesn't see his radiance. Everybody doesn't see his beauty. And the reason why is because some people are still blinded um, by the God of this world, by, by Satan himself, by the lust of the eye, the pride of life and the lust of the flesh. And my prayer through uh, today's sermon as we look at this passage is that God will uh, give us spiritual eyes to see the spiritual beauty of Jesus. And a good Advent, a good Christmas isn't us experiencing uh, fleeting light. While, while I love hot chocolate, I love great gifts, I love the tree, I love lights, uh, that all leaves us empty. And that glory is, is fleeting and temporary. And what God wants to offer you, if you don't know him, and wants to offer you, if you do know him this Christmas, is a glory, a light, a radiance, and a beauty that doesn't leave you empty, but leaves you full. And that when you feel empty, you can go to him to to be filled back up and to experience his glory. And so that's what we want to look at today. We want to see this text. And from this text, we want to spiritually see the beauty of Jesus. And the reason I'm saying spiritually see uh, the beauty of Jesus is because uh, when we talk about Jesus, we know that he, as the text says, he became man. He dwelt in the flesh. But physically, if we were in the first century, if we were a Jewish and we were in the first century and we just physically saw Jesus with our eyes, we would not have been that impressed. Uh, the prophet Isaiah talks about how his physical appearance wasn't anything outside of the ordinary. It wasn't anything outside of the ordinary. But yet John in this passage is going to talk about seeing Jesus, observing him, being around him. And he's going to talk about his beauty, his fullness. And that's because John and the disciples and the early apostles were able to see him with spiritual eyes, with spiritual eyes. So in verse 14, we see that John uh, takes us back to verse one. 
and this uh, kind of uh, uh, analogy of Jesus being the Word. The Word became flesh, he says, and dwelt among us. And so Jesus is the Word, and the Word is preexistent. Uh, John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, the Word is eternal. The Word is with God. And the Word, who has eternally been God, uh, becomes human. And the Bible says he dwelt among us. Now, this is John saying he dwelt among us. He lived among us. And among us meaning the uh, disciples, the apostles, those who experienced him. Now, part of what John is doing in this passage is he is using phrases and words that would resonate with those who knew the Old Testament. And in fact, what he's going to show us is that the same God and the same attributes that we see of God in the Old Testament is the same attributes that Jesus had and the same glory that Israel was able to see in the Old Testament is the same exact glory that Jesus had. And this is incredible because we know as a Jew to attribute a human being with God's glory um, would have uh, caused someone to, to possibly have been stoned. It would have been blasphemous. But what John is trying to do is trying to show his readers that Jesus was not just a Messiah, but that Jesus is the Son of God. And so this term that we see in verse 14, dwelt among us, literally is he tabernacled among us. He pitched a tent among us. And this would have pointed people back to uh, the uh, wanderings of God's people in the wilderness as they had what was called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a tent that God had uh, Israel create, and it's set at the middle of their camp. And in Exodus uh, chapter 40, we read this about the tabernacle. There was a cloud that covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day. And there was a fire inside the cloud by night visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. So while Israel is in the wilderness, uh, God gives them a constant reminder of his presence. He has them create this beautiful uh, tent in which his glory, crowd, his glory cloud would constantly fill. And no matter what they were going through on their journey, they were constantly reminded that they were not alone because the glory of the Lord was all around them. He was in the middle of them. And John is saying, listen, Jesus became flesh. He put on human flesh. He tabernacled among us and we actually got to observe his glory. And then in verse 15, he's going to use John the Baptist as, a, uh, as another uh, a testimony uh, to someone who has seen the glory of Christ, right? 
And so he talks about John the Baptist in the previous verses. He's going to go back to John the Baptist and he's going to say this little thing. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, he preached, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. So remember, John the Baptist uh, was also preaching in the wilderness and he was preaching this message of Jesus as the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And he says that he existed before me. Now, what's interesting is, is that John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. So how did Jesus exist before John the Baptist if John the Baptist was conceived and born before Jesus? Well, John has already told us Jesus is eternally existent. He is the word who was with God in the beginning. He is the one who created all things and through whom all things is created. But here's the question for us this morning. When we talk about the glory, I talked about how it can be rather abstract, right? It's the intrinsic worth, beauty of God when it's made public. It can show up as a cloud, as, as, as fire, right? Um, it's his radiance, it's his weightiness, right? God is heavy. But in this passage, what amazes me this week as I was wrestling with it is that John is going to give us some very tangible ways in which Jesus displayed the glory of God. And we're going to see it in verse 14. We observed his glory. Listen to this. The glory as the one and only son, the unique son, the son with whom there is uh, no one else can be compared to from the father. And here's the tangible glory of God. Are you ready? Full of grace and truth. John says the glory of God was on display in the person of Jesus Christ when he tabernacled amongst us, not because there is a, a cloud, but because we got to see it in that he was the perfect mingling of unmerited favor, of compassion, as well as truth and justice. You know, and then he's going to go on and he's going to point us back to Moses. Indeed, we have all, verse 16, received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only, the one and only son, again, the unique son, the begotten son, not the made son, right? Jesus is eternal existence who was brought forth as God's son, who is himself God. Again, weighty words from John, John, and is at the father's side. He has refilled him. So part of what John does here is he brings Moses back into the equation and he says, listen, Moses came with the law and the law was a demonstration of God's grace because God revealed his heart to Israel by, by showing Israel essentially who he was and what he cared for. You all may remember in uh, Exodus chapter 34, Moses is crying out to God, begging God to uh, make sure that his presence was with him as he led the children of Israel. And Moses says to God, God, um, if you don't go with us, if your presence is not with us, we don't want to go. We don't want to continue to journey on. And he prays, Lord, show me your glory. Show me who you are. And remember, God hides Moses behind a rock. 
after explaining to Moses, I can't reveal to you fully who I am. No, no man can fully see God and live. And then God says this to Moses. Look at what God says to Moses. He passes by Moses and he's preaching to Moses. He says, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Look at that. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. And what do we see in John chapter one? John saying, Jesus tabernacled amongst us. He showed us his glory. And what is his glory? His glory is the perfect mingling of grace and truth. And he said, we experience this grace. We experience waves and waves and waves of this grace. And he goes on to say, no one can say that they have seen God and is at the Father's side, but he has revealed him. Jesus Christ revealed who God is in his person and through his works. So here is what I want us to to quickly uh, look at. Is, is how do we observe the glory of Christ today? We can't physically see Jesus. Um, how do we, this Advent, experience his glory? Well, it's two ways. And the first way is by observing and marveling at his attributes this, this Advent. It's very easy during the Christmas season for us to get, as I said, caught into the season and to the gifts, and to the great music, and to being with family. But this Advent, we must slow down to just observe just the character of God, the the person of God and his attributes. And if we had to sum up his character, is that he is gracious. The Lord is compassionate, and he is merciful. And we may not have what we want to have this Christmas. We may not get what we want to get. There may be some things that, that, that are as void in our hearts and in our lives that we wish we had. But here's the truth. We all, we all who are in Christ has already uh, received more than we deserve. The Bible tells us that we are sinners, shaped in our iniquity, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus. And we came to know Jesus, not because of works of the flesh or natural descent, but by grace through faith, by his unmerited, undeserved favor. And the only thing that separates us from a person who does not know Christ and his love and what he has done for us is that God has allowed his Holy Spirit to soften our hearts and to give us new eyes and to give us a new heart. And may we this Christmas be grateful for the fact that Jesus Christ came and though he was perfect and without sin, lived a life that we could not live and died the death that we all deserve to die. And his wrath, God the Father's wrath is real and he satisfied his wrath through his cross. But may we also remember that grace without truth is just sentimentality and that God's grace is not grace uh, separated from truth, but it's grace couched in truth. And that's what makes God 
perfect is that he goes beyond just being gracious to us. He also gives us truth. He also gives us a true picture of who we are and who he is. Now, truth without grace is also, is also judgment. We see a perfect picture of grace, I think, in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 16 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to good works. And so we see in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 16, that God's grace, it saves. The grace of God has now appeared. But it doesn't just save. God's grace gives us the truth. It it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us to say no to the flesh. It teaches us to live spirit-filled, obedient lives. And it powers us uh, to live lives of sanctification. And so John essentially is telling us that the way in which we observe Jesus today is by remembering that he is full of both. He's full of grace, yes, but he's also full of truth. The second way in which we observe the glory of Jesus this Advent is by remembering that the glory of Jesus is intricately linked with the cross of Jesus. It's at the cross of Christ that we see the perfect mingling of God's grace and truth. It's at the cross of Christ that we behold the glory of God. In John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he prays this, and Jesus spoke these things. He looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. And what was the hour that had came? The hour that had come for uh, Jesus to, to glorify the father was the hour of his crucifixion. And so many times when we think about glory, when we think about radiance, when we think about beauty, when we think about the intrinsic worth of God made public, we maybe we think about the clouds or we think about the light, but seldom do we think about the cross. But it is at the cross of Christ in which God was glorified. And if we want to experience the glory of Jesus day by day, it is because we fix our eyes on his cross on his sufferings, on what he has done for us. But it's also for us to identify with Christ in his sufferings. We experience the glory of Christ when we pick up our crosses and we follow him. And we understand that when we pick up our crosses and we follow Christ in our sufferings daily, it is then that God meets us in an intimate and a special way. And we experience his fullness through the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
Some of us, we're not experiencing the glory of God and the glory of Christ because we don't want to suffer with him. And then in our suffering, rather than embrace Jesus and run to him, we run away from him. We, 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 we run away from the pain. We, we run a, away from picking up our cross. And we short circuit experiencing his fullness by running to other people, or other things. We try to numb the experience of our sufferings and try to suffer apart from Christ. And thereby we miss seeing his beauty. We miss experiencing his grace. We miss being comforted by his truth. We miss his radiance. And I just want to encourage you this Advent that rather than run from the the pain, rather than run from the cross, run to Jesus and see that he carried the cross for you and that he has empowered you and has a cross that is tailor-made for you so that you can experience him in his fullness. And it is in your weakness that you will hear him say, my grace is sufficient for you. It is in your loneliness that you will hear him say this Advent, my grace is sufficient for you. It is in your struggle that you will hear him say, my grace is sufficient for you. It is in your insecurities when you run to him and you look to his beauty and behold his glory that you will hear him say, my grace is sufficient for you. It is when your trials are at its heaviness and you give up trying to carry it in your own strength and you say, Lord, I need your power and your strength to to indwell me so that I can carry my, my cross, that you will hear him say, my grace is sufficient for you. For the grace of God has now appeared, bringing salvation to all men, teaching, training us to say no teaching us to walk by faith and not by sight, teaching us to live in the spirit so that we will not gratify the lust of the flesh, reminding us that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness and who invites us to come into his throne of grace, boldly knowing that we shall receive compassion. This Advent, don't run to things that will be empty and dry. Don't run to broken cisterns hoping to be filled. Run to Jesus with whom all the fullness of God dwells, who is the bread of life, who is living water, who is a doctor in a sick room, a lawyer in a courtroom, who is the wheel in the middle of a way, who is a bridge over troubled water, who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, who is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And you look into his face and know that as you look into his face, that he can take you from one degree of glory to the next. Look to Jesus who is both the lion and the lamb, 
who is sufficient in all things and for all things, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. Look to Jesus who came like he came to do what he did, who did what he did so that we might be who we are. Look to Jesus who came like he came, virgin born, to do what he did, die on the cross, who did what he did, die on the cross so that we might be who we are, children of God. Look to Jesus with whom you have sonship and fellowship and hope. Look to Jesus. And every Sunday we celebrate Jesus, who is full of grace and truth, who is compassionate and merciful, but who is also one who's going to tell you the truth about yourself and this world. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christian, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Listen, if I am in need of a, a lawyer, it is a good and helpful thing for someone to hand me a book but that book at the end of the day is going to be information that I hope to apply. It's better for a lawyer to show up. If I am sick, it is good for someone to hand me a medical book. And I can read that medical book and perhaps be made well by reading that medical book. But how much better is it for a, a physician to come in person to help me to be made well? In the same way, the Bible says that we are sinners and that we were born into darkness. And God didn't just give us a word in the Bible. He became flesh and he dwelt among us and he allowed his body to be broken for us so that we would have the ultimate cure. And if you want to experience the glory of Jesus, don't take your eyes off of what he's done for you. Being handed out right now are the Lord's Supper elements. There's a wafer. If you're um, a Christian, we ask you to partake in it by eating the wafer, being reminded of the fact that Jesus came in flesh and blood. And if there's juice, I want you to drink it. Remind yourself of the blood of Jesus, which was shed for you. It's at the cross, at the cross where we first saw the light. And the burden of our sins was rolled away. It's there by faith that we received our sight. And now we are happy all the day. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.